Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the WFIU WTIU Newsroom, along with Sarah Whitmire, the WFIU WTIU News Director. We're recording this show remotely today to avoid the risk of spreading the COVID-19 virus. And we're going to be talking about the high demand for journalism during the pandemic as the industry struggles. We have four guests joining us on the program today. We have Steve Key, the Hoosier State Press Association Executive Director. Al Tompkins from the Pointer Institute. He's a senior faculty member. Max Jones is the editor of the Terre Haute Tribune Star. And Catrice Hardy is the Indianapolis Star Executive Editor. And she is also the Gannett Midwest uh, Regional Editor. She has responsibility for papers in Indiana, Illinois, and Kentucky. You can join us on the program by sending your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Well, it's great to have everybody here. I'm happy to say uh, that uh, I know three of the four. I should say in in the interest of transparency, I work closely with Steve Key and Max Jones in my more than three decades as the editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. And I worked with Al Tompkins some. Haven't had the the opportunity to work with Catrice, but I've worked with several other editors from the Indy Star. So I want to start with Al Tompkins because I think Al, you have a very broad view of what's going on in the industry, and if you could just sort of outline, you know, what's going on in the in the journalism industry, print newspapers as well as you know commercial television, public radio, public TV, in terms of um, being able to serve the public, especially during the time of this pandemic. Well, it's really ugly. Uh, that's the headline. Um, the, the, the business is difficult, to say the least, uh, more difficult for print uh, than it is for broadcast. But uh, on the print side, um, there are basically two main income streams. Uh, one is subscriptions, and those have been falling for quite some time. Uh, the other is advertising, and that is just in a real serious nosedive. Um, So uh, the response has been uh, largely on the print side uh, toward a few things, uh, staff cuts, furloughs, layoffs, um, and a reduction in print additions to online. And that's gone relatively well, actually, uh, better than a lot of people thought uh, that it would. On the broadcast side, um, first quarter earnings were pretty good for the big broadcast owners. Uh, but second quarter earnings are going to be greatly reduced. One thing that people don't generally understand on the broadcast side, for TV, maybe about 30% of their income does not come from advertising. It actually comes from what's called network compensation or, or cable retransmission. Uh, so the cable company is paying money to the TV stations for the rights to carry their signal, and those are long-term contracts. Television is not hurting nearly as much. On the radio side, 
commercial radio is basically uh, the same shape that uh, that newspapers in, and that is they basically have one source of income that's advertising, and advertising is in the pit. Um, and uh, satellite radio is doing uh, reasonably well. Uh, public radio, which depends on uh, mostly uh, listener contributions, are in big trouble, partly because most public radio stations have delayed their early fundraising drives. So it's pretty ugly. Uh, despite that, uh, some pretty amazing journalism being done. Listenership, viewership, readership, all up uh, across the board, as well as online. So at the time when demand and need is high, the finances to make it work are in trouble. Steve Key, what are you hearing from around the state of Indiana? Uh, I'd echo what uh, Al said. Uh, just today, I found out that we've had a a couple more uh, newspapers that have shut their doors. Uh, so that's about six, I believe, uh, since the pandemic uh, started that have completely ceased operations. So, um, you know, and while on the other hand, you know, people are, as Al said, are, are looking to their local newspaper for information on what's happening in their community. Uh, so the demand is up. Uh, but the uh, the the revenue is, is has has gone you know just just so so far south that that we're starting to see uh, papers close. What about staff sizes at, at a lot of these newspapers? I uh, other than the uh, furloughs, uh, you know, I haven't seen so much about actual cuts uh, uh, with the p pandemic. Uh, and I, but a lot of that is due to the fact that uh, the newspapers were already in, in tight uh, financial straits before the pandemic hit. Uh, so a lot of the staffs have already undergone the uh, significant staff cuts in the, uh, the, you know, the months uh, preceding the pandemic. So we have uh, Max Jones with us. Max is with CNHI newspapers and Catrice Hardy is with Gannett. I want to ask Catrice first, um, you know, Gannett and Gatehouse merged. There have been a lot of layoffs. There have been furloughs. So can you just talk about the situation in the Gannett newsrooms right now? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I first want to say that, you know, the, the cuts, layoffs that we've had have actually been around us integrating um, as one company. Um, the way we've handled the pandemic has been with furloughs. And that is happening across our company and all 200, roughly 260 of our, our daily news organizations. Um, since I have been with the Midwest, which has been just two months and some change, um, you know, we've done, I think we've done a really good job of trying overall to really look at where we see efficiencies and synergies. So in some of our markets we've looked at, um, and I've done this in particular with the southern part and the northern part of the state, if we had groups of papers that um, we're closer than we've come under one umbrella. And so we have a, a Southern state editor, if you will, who's now working with all the papers in a two and a half hour radius. Now there are other editors who assist that main state editor, obviously. And we also still have in most of our newsrooms, editors on site. Um, we have, but we've looked at management and tried to make sure that we have the right number to help our reporters, but we really want to keep reporters on, um, in the street, photographers on the streets and really protect those resources over editors. Same thing with the northern part of the state as well as in Indiana. Okay, now Max, from uh, the CNHI standpoint, I know you just got a new set of responsibilities. Can you talk about that? Max, I think you're, uh, you may be muted. Uh, hopefully I'm with you now. Yeah, there you go. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting time in the trenches uh, out here uh, in community newspapers. Uh, it seems like it's been two years rather than two months uh, that, that we've been involved in this now, but uh, much has changed, uh, although we're hanging in there pretty well. Uh, there has been some uh, um, Patriot uh, newspaper day reductions uh, in a number of CNHI newspapers. That certainly has happened here in Terre Haute. We were a seven day daily and uh, beginning in May, we reduced to five days a week. We no longer publish on Sundays or, or Tuesdays and our Saturday paper is now actually a weekend edition which will uh, look exactly the way our Sunday paper uh, used to look. So it's, it, was, it was quite a bit of a shock uh, to reduce days like that, but we're adjusting. And uh, from a personal standpoint, I was uh, uh, approached about expanding my duties as editor at the Tribune Star uh, to also be the editor of the Commercial News in Danville, Illinois. That's just across the border. It's about 60 miles from Terre Haute. So uh, I'm trying to uh, also help them as they uh, as they pursue their cause up there. They've had a, pay, uh, a page uh, day reduction as well as we have. So it keeps changing and we're trying to adjust. We haven't seen a, uh, a lot of uh, individual uh, staff reductions. There have been some, but it, it hasn't been particularly widespread just yet uh, as the company has taken the approach of uh, reducing uh, uh, print dates. So Al Tompkins, Steve Key mentioned the fact that six Indiana newspapers have closed their doors. I know uh, there's one in Clinton, one in Batesville. I'm not sure what the other ones are. But could you talk a little bit about a little bit about what happens when you know the newspaper in town goes away? What's that mean to a community? Well, uh, the worst news is if nobody notices that that tells us uh, something. But my suspicion is, is you will notice. Uh, there are all across the United States uh, what we sometimes call news deserts. There are places that just nobody's covering, and um, I think we'll start seeing this uh, particularly when city governments, for example, start making tough decisions about what services to cut, uh, and nobody's at City Hall covering that story. Uh, when, um, uh, when state government, for example, uh, starts cutting uh, spending, which they will in the next budget, this budget year and the next budget year are just going to be uh, really difficult ones. Maybe the most important time to be covering government, local government in a long, long time. Uh, and uh, you're going to see increasingly, there'll be nobody there watching what's going on. Uh, we won't be getting uh, the nonstop coverage of how our elected leaders are, uh, uh, are responding to the pressures that will be coming on them, much greater uh, pressures than we've seen in recent years when the economy was reasonably robust. Um, to say nothing of the fact that we're heading into an election year. I mean, let's not forget, we have a presidential election only a matter of months away. And no matter what happens, it's going to be a huge story uh, on top of uh, the biggest story we've, uh, we've been on in a generation. So uh, look, you're gonna feel this. You're, gonna, you're going to be asking, why didn't somebody tell me this was going on? And by then it may be too late. If your local news organization is already shut down because we didn't support it, we didn't understand it, then you'll pay the price and the price will be the lack of micro local information that you know the biggest news organizations simply aren't going to make it there 
uh, Indianapolis television stations aren't going to come uh, to uh, the little town. And uh, it's not because they don't care, it's because they don't have the staff to do that. And that was never their intent to start with. So uh, the question I would ask is, what, do you, what will you miss if your local news organization, even this radio station, were not to be there? What would you miss? What would you not have? And what would you be willing to do about that? Steve Key, I want to talk a little bit about, you have a, a multiple roles. I mean, as, as the executive director of the Hoosier State Press Association, uh, but one of the key roles is that you keep an eye on the legislature. So you've seen over the last oh, decade or two, a reduction in statehouse reporters. How, now we're, you know, I was talking about a reduction in city hall reporters. What, what's happened, you know, when you look at the state coverage over the years, how has the reduction in those reporters affected, you know, the, the work of the legislature? Well, it's, you know, it's the, 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 the journalists, the news media, and particularly the newspapers that, that are the ones who give you more the breadth of co coverage. And the fewer reporters you have, then, you know, you, you have a tendency for those few reporters to be covering the, the, the same story. You know, whereas if you have multiple, more reporters, you have more, more bills, more uh, agency stories that, that, are, that are being covered. Uh, you know, you don't have to look any farther than the, the pandemic coverage. You know, it's been the newspapers uh, that have been pushing uh, hard uh, uh, against the, uh, the state to give more information about what's going on in the nursing homes and, and, and asking repeatedly for specific information on, you know, specific nursing homes as opposed to just aggregated numbers. The same would go for, you know, coverage as far as what's happening with the uh, outbreaks in the prisons. So you take those uh, reporters away, you take those stories away, you take that push away for information uh, that uh, an individual citizen is not going to have any leverage to try to, uh, to get the information from uh, the administration or a particular state agency. And the same will happen on the local level. You know, if you don't have that reporter attending those meetings, asking those questions, then uh, things are going to happen, uh, as Al said, you know, uh, and people will be asking later, why didn't I know? And be, it'll be because there was nobody there to ask the question. You got it. Sarah? We got a question asking, this is for Catrice and Max. What are you doing to help your staffs cope with the stress they're under at the present time? Catrice, could you start and then Max? Absolutely, so it's a very good question. Um, and it's one, it's difficult. Um, there are a lot, we, we thrive off of each other's energy. We enjoy being together. And not, not only are they living this experience themselves, but they're also being charged with going into some really sensitive situations in some cases. And so what we've been doing is a lot of touch base with our um, reporters and, and staffers. We are personally doing um, Zoom chats with everybody on staff um, bi-weekly now. Um, we are check checking in with them regularly. We made sure there was PPE. We're asking what we can do. If people need days to just take, to, I mean, outside of other days, they have to take to just have a day to um, you know, spend time with family. And obviously everybody's dealing with e-learning and all these other components that's making life pretty difficult. And so we've been really understanding with what their needs are. Um, I honestly keep wrestling with, can we do more? Um, I was talking with one of my editors 
in Illinois yesterday and I said, hey, you guys have been doing quite a bit of work. Why don't we get, you know, ice cream gift cards for everybody? So little things, but honestly, I think it's really important. I've stressed this to all of the editors. Make sure you're staying close to your people. You can't just hear them on the phone. You want to be able to spend time with them, seeing their face to make sure they're okay. So, okay, I'll, Catrice, I'm going to follow up on that a little bit. You know, the situation in Bloomington is, is kind of unique, but, um, you know, Bloomington's editor was in the last set of layoffs. So they, they have a yeah. tentative editor. So it's difficult, maybe difficult for that staff to have that touchstone. Um, so, can you talk uh, about a situation like that? Yeah, absolutely. And so in that case, again, there is an editor um, who will be spending far more days there um, who had worked and, and, and knows that community. So that is the plan. We've rolled out some of that already. Um, and then we will also have our Southern state editor um, who's about an hour away, but the same thing there. I mean, he has been doing video calls with that staff. Um, we have made sure that when we introduced Michael as part of the Southern state team, that they, he had FaceTime with them. Same thing with the weekly meetings. Um, same thing, you know, Stephen Crane um, is going to be in that, that site far more regularly. So that, and, and it's interesting because when you say at the site, it's not physical because nobody's working <laughs> right. in buildings right now. <laughs> but, but it is, you know, you know, again, I keep stressing video calls, video calls. And I know as traditional print media folks, we're a little uncomfortable with that. But we have to embrace that as managers right now to make sure our people are okay. And I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, if you need to seek other resources, I mean, we have EAP resources, we have um, options for you to utilize that are free of charge. I mean, I want to make sure they're personally doing okay. Sarah? I just have a follow-up for Al about this. Just it, Al, if you could talk a little bit about best practices and how you would advise newsrooms to handle this, especially in a time when I feel like they're, they are uncertain about the future just of their own jobs in addition to covering this virus. That's no different than anybody else. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, uh, what would a listener be thinking if they heard us talking about this? Like, uh, well, at least we still have jobs when uh, the, the, a fourth of the, uh, working population right now, my neighbor across the fence from me over here, uh, hasn't worked in two months. Um, so, uh, it's no different than anybody else. And that is, uh, you know, you've just got to do your job and keep, uh, uh, ready to respond if you lose your job. Um, but the other piece of it, and this is, uh, this is really, uh, one of the challenges. The other piece of this is, not to let your own concerns about your own future start creeping into your reporting, your own frustrations, your own anger, your own fears. Part of the problem is, is that these reporters are covering people who are saying the very things that the reporters themselves are feeling. They want to get the, uh, every journalist wants to get the economy going too, and yet they're doing stories about how dangerous it would be if you did that. Um, so, uh, in many ways, we're covering the story that we ourselves are also living. Uh, I'm here in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's very much like covering hurricanes, where people um, uh, are covering the storm that's also battering their own home. Uh, it's, it's a metaphor for what we're covering now. And so, uh, that's part of it. The other is to remember that uh, journalists um, uh, are just like uh, everybody else. We've got uh, uh, health concerns. We have senior citizens to take care of. We have children who are out of school. We're trying to homeschool our kids uh, while we're also trying to do our work. And 
you know, it's all, it, it, it's, it's something that I think people don't fully understand. This program is being done out of people's uh, bedrooms uh, where you used to be in studios. And yet it sounds remarkably clear and crisp. So, uh, you know, I, I think people don't need to know that. Uh, it, it's not important for them to know that, but that's the reality. Let me give our, our uh, the ways to contact us again. You can send questions in to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I wanted to uh, ask Max and Catrice both to, to follow up on that a little bit, because I know that your newsrooms that you're involved with are doing really good journalism. I mean, what's the, what's the focus of the work now that's coming out of the newsrooms? Max, you want to start? Sure, Bob. Uh, one thing I'm really blessed with here in Terre Haute is a, is a veteran staff, and they uh, have, uh, from the time this started, seized the moment. They understand the, the seriousness uh, of the issues involved, that they're covering stories on two major fronts, one the public health front, one the economic front. And it really is a, a, a great comfort to me to know how well they embrace the, the challenge that is ahead of them. Uh, so that is, uh, I believe, helped us in many ways uh, move forward on this. It's been a day-to-day -day thing. We've uh, had to deal with our, our people issues as they come along. I think everyone understands that uh, if, if the stress gets too great, if there's other parts of their lives that begin to uh, intervene, uh, we need to be there to help them. Uh, they've always been that way. We've had one of our reporters that has actually made masks for uh, everyone else in the newsroom. Uh, we've had others who have done similar things to, to uh, help out uh, their colleagues. So that really makes uh, all of us feel uh, very much that we're part of a team that we know we'll, we may have to rally at one point or another to uh, help the others as, uh, uh, as a situation uh, may arise. So uh, that, you know, that, that's sort of a snapshot of, of, of what I see um, as we go along and we're, we're far from being out of this yet. Yeah, and I, you know, from, from my perspective, it, it really is. I mean, when this first started, this is the story. I mean, if not definitely the year, if not the decade, and you could go on. And so we really looked at um, how we were structured and said, you know, we just need to have COVID teams. And so we broke those out into three areas of focus in Indianapolis in particular, and that was, you know, economic development, um, you know, the reopening. Um, we looked at government accountability, watchdog transparency, and obviously the health focus, kind of the three big subgroups. Since then, it's changed more to, um, you know, still doing those things, but really, again, trying to figure out um, what we needed to cover at the moment as a story has evolved. And so we've talked about shifting more resources over to the economic impact and how, how Indiana comes out of this. We've talked about that quite a bit as a state. And so there are different stories we've done together. And it's great because, you know, we did a piece um, COVID one particular day last month across the state of Indiana. And we had these vignettes from the northern part to the southern part of the state. And they address all these things that people are experiencing, the parent trying to, um, you know, e-learn, the person trying to, somebody else trying to apply for unemployment, um, what's happening at the sports arena. We're nothing in Indianapolis right now. And so we've really looked at our resources across the state as well as capitalizing our local um, expertise and, and, and tried to 
use those resources efficiently, but also to not overwhelm any one person so they don't have to do so much all at once. We want them to become experts, if, if you will. All right, thank you very much. We have uh, other questions that have come in. Um, here's one that um, really is addressed to Catrice, although I think that Max can address it too, because it's about it's about union newsrooms. And the, the question is specifically about um, whether, you know, Gannett, is, with, with South Bend going to a new union newsroom, and I think there was one other, Phoenix perhaps, um, whether Gannett has policies or has an aggressive stance about union newsrooms. And I know Max, you've worked with a union, um, with union shops. I don't know that you, do you, I don't know that you have, do you have a union newsroom in Terre Haute? We actually do. Uh, the, yeah. the Tribune Star uh, being here in Terre Haute is uh, pretty much wall to wall uh, mm -hmm. unions. The newspaper guild represents uh, the largest bulk of folks, including the newsroom. Uh, and then we have some other production related newsrooms. So yes, I've been dealing with that almost my entire career. I've been here 35 years. I was in the union uh, for a few years uh, at the start of my uh, tenure here. Uh, and uh, the, we have a great relationship with the Newspaper Guild. Uh, we feel like uh, we have a, a good collaboration going and are not seeing any, uh, any issues related to uh, to dealing with the collective bargaining agreement here. Patrice, back to you from the question was, you know, was sort of directed to Gannett since that's all new for uh, this area anyway. What's Gannett's stance on, on union representation? Absolutely. So yeah, we definitely um, work really hard and I'm so I'm new to being in a union shop. So um, uh, for the company, but I'll say we work really hard to have good relationships. I can tell you in you know, the two months that I've been in Indy, I feel like um, I've had great conversations with our, our union representatives. You know, here's the thing, I think, and especially in Indianapolis and many of our other locations, we all are in, you know, come with the same mission and purpose. Um, we want to have good working environments, but we also want to do great work. And so, you know, even with the recent furloughs, I think, you know, we've had really good conversations around that. Um, and so, you know, I've not had to work on a new contract yet, um, but I will tell you that I'm, I'm been very pleased with how we've been able to come to a, you know, a decision and how we've been able to work through any concerns that may have um, arose with the coverage. PPE was one thing, which the company was already going to apply equipment but just being able to say, yeah, this is what's coming, just so you know. And I've tried to also give our union a heads up on anything that I might, I think might be an issue or a concern. So I want to go to Alan and Steve to talk about, uh, you know, in, in a general sense, you know, the, the Gannett restructuring and the restructuring of many, many news companies to um, sort of more centralized leadership in a lot of ways. Um, what are the pluses to these mergers and um, in the centralization? What are, are there, what pluses are there and what are the minuses? Then Al, could I ask you to address that first? Well, I've worked for big companies and I've worked for small ones and there are advantages to both. Uh, the small ones are great if the owners and managers serve the local community first and make that their priority. They are bad if they are um, 
too central. Uh, that is to say, if they're if they're if they protect their friends and they don't aggressively go after the uh, the power brokers, then small owners don't have the advantage. Uh, uh, on the um, on the broadcast side, just as an example, uh, the larger owners have been uh, much more able to endure so far. Um, because they have so much larger portfolios, they are they, they have so much more credit line. Uh, they've been able to do uh, reasonably well so far. There are a couple of exceptions. We saw Meredith, for example, which is also a big magazine company, Ladies Home Journal, Better Homes and Gardens, such as that. Um, we saw their quarterly report yesterday, and it's pretty dismal. Um, but uh, but they recently went through some big acquisitions. This. Anybody who went through acquisitions in the last um, uh, four or five months must be really wondering what they were thinking, um, and because the the book value of whatever they acquired is a fraction of what it once was. It's just the worst time to be a new owner of any media company right now. But um, you know, we'll see whether they can make make them more profitable uh, or profitable at all. Um, in some cases, they're going to have to start thinking completely differently about how they do their business. Instead of being in the newspaper business, they'll be in the news business that sometimes publishes in paper. Um, here's the other piece of it, and I, I hear this uh, quite a lot from the public, and that, well, uh, look, uh, why don't they just go digital? Uh, they'd save a lot of money. Yeah, they would. They would save some printing costs. They would save a distribution cost, both substantial costs. But um, uh, it's, it's a nickel on a dollar. So you'd have to have about 20 online subscribers to generate the revenue of one print subscriber. And therein lies the problem. The scale of economy, particularly in small communities, just isn't large enough. You don't have enough people who would ever be interested in the digital version to be able to make it work. So then what happens is they throw up paywalls. So the problem with paywalls is, is, is people don't like to pay them uh, or they can't pay them. Uh, and then they get frustrated because they can't see the story and, and, uh, and then rumors start, uh, somebody heard this, read that, so on, and, and that's the problem. I wish I had a better solution. I wish I was more optimistic about it. But part of this was of our own making. It, it took way too long for print uh, companies to figure out how to do digital. And those who did, uh, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, have done reasonably well during this because they changed their income stream. Al, can you point to any smaller uh, newsroom, newspaper newsrooms that have figured it out? You know, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post are not on a par with uh, a lot of the papers that, you know, we deal with around here. Truthfully, there aren't very many. Uh, Texas Tribune, a couple of others uh, have 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 tried, uh, have done reasonably well. There's nonprofit models that have uh, cropped up um, that have uh, have done reasonably well. Part of the problem is, particularly in in smaller areas, rural areas, you end up having the cohort of subscribers are generally older people who want um, who want a print edition. They're not willing to go online. Uh, it's difficult to read. It's hard to navigate. Uh, it's not how I'm used to getting information. And so you're asking people to change habit for no reason because it was still available to them. So it's very difficult uh, to change uh, consumer habits once they are used to getting uh, the information one way. Now, the pandemic has caused us to change all sorts of habits. And so now it may be much easier to move people to online. But the problem there is you're going to have to move 10 people, 15, 20 people 
to online paid subscribers uh, in order to equal the income from one print subscriber. And that's going to be very difficult to do if you don't have enough people in your community to uh, to be able to make anything like that. The other piece of it is, honestly, in small newspapers, uh, the distribution costs are pretty high. Um, uh, let me give you an example. Here in St. Petersburg, where I live, a lot of people live in high-rises, condos, and stuff like that. It's very difficult to get a print edition into somebody's condo. Um, and, and so it's labor intensive. You're not just driving up and down the streets of Terre Haute, throwing the newspaper out on people's steps here. You actually have to get out of the car and physically deliver to these high rises. And it's, it's, it takes forever to do. It's just a terrible way to deliver a newspaper, but that's what they do. And they've got to get rid of that cost in order to be even possibly viable. So if I can add, I, you know, I've worked at the newspaper for a long time and I was there when the Herald Times went to a paid model. It was one of the first in the country that did that. And what happened was it became very difficult to walk away from the $300,000 a year that was coming in as revenue, uh, even though, you know, now it seems like maybe it was just the, a wrong headed move and the wrong way to go. But once that revenue was coming in, it was just very difficult to walk away from it. So, you know, you're, you're right. I think newspapers have have stuck to the print model because it was working and that's not really the future. Steve Key, you've seen this with newspapers all over Indiana trying to figure out this digital model too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not just in Indiana, as is Alex, it's a national issue in, in that you have a product that is in high demand and people you know, want their local news, they want to know what's going on in their community. And it's and it's not just generational. I mean, the I you know I've heard the millennials and the X Geners are are huge uh, voracious uh, news uh, consumers, uh, but you know they 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 think that and have a feeling that, that they should be able to get their news for free. And it, it makes me think of a, a quote I I saw the other day where someone says, I don't need a newspaper because I get my news on the internet is like saying, I don't need farmers because I have my food in the refrigerator. And uh, there, there needs to be a, a change and people have to understand that they have to pay for that reporter, that editor and that distribution system to get that local news. It just doesn't happen. And, and the entities, the newspaper uh, groups, chains, family owned, whatever, they do have to make a profit. You know, it's it's not a charitable organization. So there's got to be a change. But but I'm optimistic that that the, there will be a model. It may be more digital than than print as as we go forward, uh, because of those distribution and and printing costs. But the demand is there, and if there's a demand, there's going to be a way to to do it. And and I hearken back to when I was a a, a kid. If if you had come up to me with a, a plastic bottle of water and said, here, Steve, uh, how would you like to have this uh, uh, bottle of water? You know, it's only cost you $1.75. You, you would laugh at the time. But now people, you know, they, they buy their bottled water and, and by crate loads and, and, uh, and, and, and don't blink at, at spending money for the water. So there's going to be a change, I think, in, in attitude towards the value of news and the product where, It'll be the, the subscription revenue that, that drives it and the advertising that comes along with it will be more gravy on top of that, I, I, I firmly believe. Al? 
Um, I think there's one other way this could could uh, could unfold that would be um, a lot less disruptive, and that is if search engines and social media aggregation sites like Apple News, for example, or even Facebook, uh, begin uh, paying the news services for the content that they are using. So Google News, for example, or Apple News um, uh, might be paying uh, the, the provider or the content that they are circulating. Uh, and I think that's, first of all, it's overdue. It needs to be done. It's fair. It's right. Uh, they are, they are aggregating, circulating the material that newsrooms are creating and not paying for it. So that could be a substantial income for the organizations that are creating the content. And I don't think it's going to be long in coming. Uh, I think that's going to happen. Uh, what they have been arguing until now is, look, we're aggregating your content. Uh, we're we're putting your content on our site. We're driving traffic to your local site. Well, that's fine. But if you're uh, a, a Bloomington newspaper, you don't much care if you have uh, readers in California, no advertisers selling furniture to California. So you don't get credit for the reach, the national reach, because your advertisers aren't trying to reach nationally. So that doesn't work. What will work, though, is if they pay for the content that they use, and they should. We're starting to see that happen. Uh, I think Australia, France, uh, there are several countries where they're looking to either force or uh, push uh, Google and Facebook into that uh, type of a program. Would that, Al, would that same thing be true for like Facebook and Twitter, too? Because I'm assuming they make a lot of money off of news, too. Well, it could. Uh, Facebook actually tried um, pretty valiantly, I thought, um, to do something called Facebook Stories. And what they were doing is they were, instead of linking, for example, to the New York Times stories, uh, they were actually, you could go on to Facebook and uh, the New York Times had a deal with Facebook and so did Wall Street Journal and many others. Um, and um, what, what they would do is instead of linking and sending the reader to the, uh, to the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, um, the whole story would appear wholesale right there on Facebook. Well, uh, th there were two problems. One, uh, the, the, the link at, uh, wasn't sending anybody to the paper. And so what was happening is this, the paper was seeing an increasing uh, decline in subscribers in people who were reading their content by coming to the actual site. And so uh, traffic went way down. Uh, it was more or less a wash. The amount of money they were getting from Facebook was more or less about equal to the amount of traffic that they were losing. It just kind of wasn't worth their time, and those deals mostly fell apart. But it was an interesting idea. Um, the whole and, and users, by the way, loved it. They loved not having to click on a link and go to another place. So it served Facebook very well. It held people on their site, exposed them to Facebook ads for a much longer period of time. It's an important metric that we have in media called time spent on site. We want you to stay on site as long as possible. Very much like this radio station would like to hold you for the entire day, not just for a newscast. So uh, time spent on site for Facebook went way up, but traffic to individual newsrooms went way down. And that idea fell apart. Um, but uh, it could happen. You know, it could happen. Apple News is an interesting one uh, because I can read entire articles on Apple News. And it's a really interesting service, but boy, it's just really difficult to get from the original story to the original publication. They, they bury links so deep 
that really what you have to do is go back in and do another search and find the article. That just doesn't work for the originator. You have questions or comments about the uh, journalism environment these days in a time of a pandemic, please send us an email to news at indianapublicmedia.org or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So um, for Catrice and, and Max, um, I wanted to ask about just, you know, this is all, we talked about uh, the fact there's a presidential election coming up as well and there are local elections, state elections. Um, this is a time when, you know, news is really important in terms of just public policy. The nation's as divided, perhaps, as it's been in a long time. Uh, I, you know, I think there have been other times when it's been very divided, but we certainly are seeing a lot of divisions. So, you know, how do you how do you keep focused on the news, and how do you cover other issues? And Catrice, I must bring up the fact that you guys in Indianapolis have had to cover, you know, the police shootings and, uh, you know, and th those are, you know, that's another huge issue that you're having to cover at a time when we're in a pandemic. So. Absolutely. So it's funny you mentioned that because we had um, a long discussion this week just about elections and we have an upcoming primary in Indiana. And so, you know, one thing we talked about is, again, being able to use these resources across the state. But I mean, the one thing we do well, and, and I think we have to do well, is shine a light on these issues, um, talk to our communities, and really understand what they're looking for. And we are the number one news source for who these people are who are running, doing those background checks during a pandemic. Still providing that information is vitally important. And so what we talked about was, okay, we're gonna have to take a segment of our, our, um, you know, our newsroom and still do what we usually do for elections. And then what's, what's nice about that in this case for us is we have a number of newsrooms across the state. So we'll all be able to share in that workload. Um, and that's the beauty of having a bigger company. Um, there are some downsides as well. Um, but I think that's where you know we talked about that. And so our primary coverage will be taking those races that are vitally important that our readers are looking to us for information on and doing the same background checks, writing those same stories. But you're right. I mean, I'm constantly thinking about the priorities for the area, um, the priorities for each of our sites. And right now it's COVID, it's reopening America, it's IMPD if you're in Indianapolis, and now elections. It's a constant you know, juggling act. Max? Mm -hmm. Well, we we all certainly understand that the, the primary news story of the day is is covering the pandemic and all those things related to it. But I tell you, there, there's still always a sense of relief uh, any day in the newsroom that another topic comes up that's unrelated. And everybody's very glad to uh, have an opportunity to think about something else. Uh, there hasn't been much of that, but there certainly has been some, just such as today we find out that... Uh, uh, Terre Haute has been granted its casino license from the Indiana Gaming Commission. So there's things like that that still come up that 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 are important to our community that we will continue to cover that are unrelated uh, to the pandemic. But but truly, it's almost everything that moves in our lives right now are somewhat related to, if not directly related to, all the problems that that uh, are associated with this. Uh, and, you know, we try to provide ways for a reader to get some relief from that if they want. Uh, our sports reporters in this time when there's no games being played and, and, and not a lot of balls in the air, they have, they have find, found ways to write feature stories and very entertaining uh, pieces about athletics in their community and the way athletics has affected the community over time. Uh, and I've been real happy the, with the way they've responded and been very productive and still giving 
uh, our readers uh, a chance to read things about their community that, that aren't related uh, to the pandemic. But certainly our primary focus is, is a day-to-day -day what's going on in this realm. Sarah? We have two questions, Al, for you. One is just if you could grade the media, how would you rate their performance of covering COVID-19? Well, that's kind of like grading the library, isn't it? Uh, what do you mean by the media? And therein lies the problem. So all of these good journalists on, on the, the radio with you here are all people who care deeply about your community. Is that who you mean? Uh, do you mean network television? Do you Who do you mean? And um, and so that's the problem is when we start linking all media together, you start linking together uh, those who have strong political leanings at the expense of truth and, and, uh, and accuracy and fairness uh, with those who are really careful and those who care about your community. I, I, so I, 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 I'm almost dodging your question by, by raising concerns about it. Um, I would say that uh, if you are seeking uh, fair, accurate, thorough uh, coverage, it's there to be found. Uh, if you are looking for coverage with which you agree, I'm sure you can find that as well. Uh, the problem with, uh, with coverage right now, particularly for something like a pandemic, is this is no time just to reaffirm your, your, your already held beliefs. This is a time to be seeking truth and challenge your beliefs, to ask yourself, how do they know that? Why would they say that? What is, uh, what's in it for them, for me to believe that? Uh, does this make any sense? Does this line up with science? Is this uh, the sort of thing we can document? Are we guessing? Are we stating facts? Uh, these are important questions, really important questions right now. Uh, don't just seek information with which you agree or that is good for you, uh, because that's not going to serve us well if we all uh, are just trying to make it convenient for our own lives. Um, I, I think this is one of these big questions. For example, this morning, I was on a conference call with some universities in Canada that are trying to decide what to do about fall classes. And the Canadian schools, for example, are uh, one by one by one, big schools in Canada now are announcing just today and yesterday uh, that they are gonna go all virtual. And you talk about inconvenient, it is highly inconvenient for schools, big universities, imagine IU going all virtual for the fall semester. It costs them millions of dollars, causes tremendous uproar in the economy. And yet that's what they're doing. So that's the kind of thing that I mean is uh, what's motivating the decisions. Those are the stories that I think we're missing. I might say that we did get a, a comment from uh, a local Bloomington reporter, Laura Lane, who says, despite the pandemic and staff cuts, we are still at it reporting and presenting essential local news for you every day. And I can definitely say that the WFIU newsroom is doing the same thing. And I'm sure Max and Catrice would agree that local newsrooms are certainly trying to, to do that all throughout uh, the state and the nation. We do have a question um, that asks if print editions of newspapers disappear, can they survive on digital editions alone? I, I'm gonna ask Catrice to take that. You know, it's interesting because you've seen a number of um, news entities try that, um, you know, ProPublica and some of these others, um, you know, and I think 
I think that they have found a successful model. I think, you know, it really depends on advertising. And so, you know, maybe we'll be forced to make some decisions sooner than we'd like to, but we still get so much of our revenue from the print product. It's still a habit that so many of our readership has. We have really aggressive, um, you know, I think ideas and research around how you get, you grow your subscription base. And so we are constantly talking about the need that um, to, to subscribe, whether it be digitally um, primarily, but also still with print. And so, you know, the newsrooms are really excited about that. Many of them have taken it upon themselves, reporters and photographers to also, you know, educate our community about the importance of that. Um, but to date, I mean, the beauty of being in a larger network right now is that we haven't had to walk away from print. Um, you know, we, we've given ourselves more time to figure out how to make the business model work. Al, do you have something on that? Uh, no, I, I, oh, okay. I think that's, uh, I think that's uh, right. Trying okay. to uh, print costs, uh, depending on uh, the, the more you print, uh, then uh, you end up with a scale of economy. So it's more costly per capita per subscriber for smaller newspapers to print, partly because there's transportation costs that are involved, mailing costs, all those kinds of things. Um, so, uh, but they're also much more difficult to get online. The beauty of, of a regional or weekly newspaper, small town newspaper going digital is that they become an hourly daily news source, more like a radio station. And local radio stations are under tremendous pressure right now. So. Um, there's really a huge advantage of doing that. Here's the downside, and that is connectivity, right? Trying to get senior citizens, for example, to, uh, to look at a phone screen for delivery or to navigate uh, a, a complex computer screen um, can be a huge challenge. And, uh, and therein sort of lies the rub. Here's the good part. Um, and that is, uh, if you make these newspapers online, for example, uh, easier to read by having much easier to change font size, that can be big. If you can make them so that, um, so that uh, you can turn them into audiobooks, that would be fantastic. I mean, there is some technology that will make the virtual online version of newspapers far more attractive than the print newspapers. More timely, easier to read, audiobooks, all of those things could be very valuable, but, um, but we're late to the game and now the gun's to our head and it's difficult to uh, invent while you're in such a rush, but that's where we find ourselves. I am not completely pessimistic. Uh, on the backside of this, I think newspapers will make the changes that, um, that have been long in coming. Sarah? We got just a follow-up to that from Owen Johnson. He's wondering why isn't there sort of this a la carte option that you can just pay for a single story that you would want to read digitally? Who wants to take that? I'll jump in. It would okay. be untenable. Uh, you would you would you would end up having to. I don't know what would you charge to see a story? Two cents? Five cents? Here's the other issue: is you end up. Um, uh, you end up sort of clickbaiting, right? So what would happen is, is that I would give you a, an incendiary headline that would make you want to click in rather than giving you a factual headline. Um, I can see lots of problems with this uh, in that I'm not sure that you would actually probably click on and pay for a story about a famine, uh, you know, in Africa, but you probably should read it or at least be exposed to it. Um, so uh, it's an interesting idea. It's the same kind of idea that we um, that we have for things like cable TV and stuff like that. 
from a practical point of view, I'm not sure it would uh, it would serve us well. Catrice, we have about a minute to go, and I wanted to give you an opportunity as the, the new person here. Um, and of course, Gannett and Gatehouse Gannett now is fairly new in the Bloomington area. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about, you know, why the, the good folks of Bloomington should um, be not be wary of, of Gannett as a news source. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think it's a good and fair question. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, for a couple of reasons, I think that we still have a number of, of resources there, people with seasoned experience, they love the community. That's not gonna change. We still have on-site editors, that won't change. And so honestly, I think, you know, where we're focused right now is how we can elevate our work, how we can do more um, with the resources we have and not covering everything because we can't, we have to prioritize. We have to focus on the key issues that the community is looking to us for. And so I think, you know, helping the reporters and helping the community drive those discussions is gonna be where we take our next um, initiative. Um, but then showing them, I mean, we have to show them quality work. We have to show them all the Laura's and all the other folks who work in that newsroom are still gonna do fantastic work with the on-site editor, Stephen Crane. I mean, the, the the cuts we made and we've done have been around integration, but that's not lose sight of the fact that reporters and photographers are in that newsroom and that's who we need to cover these communities. Including All right, we're gonna have to cut you off. Thank you very much for that answer. That was Catrice Hardy from the Indianapolis Star and the Gannett Midwest Regional Editor. We've also been talking today with Max Jones from Terre Haute, Al Tompkins from the Pointer Institute, uh, a senior faculty member, and Steve Key from the Hoosier State Press Association. For our producer, Bento Boutier and John Bailey, for an en engineers, Matt Stonecipher and Mike Pashkash. For co-host Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.